Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Nation podcast. Uh, this is Dive Cuts. I'm Sam Snelling. With me is Matt Harris. It is Christmas Eve. It, it is Christmas Eve morning. Um, so probably the first episode of Dive Cuts where I'm not enjoying a, a tasty glass of bourbon. Instead, it's a nice little sparkling water. Uh, good morning, Matt. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Uh, Columbia is very crisp this morning. Um, also very windy. And uh, I'm proud to say... Uh, People are staying home because I went to the grocery store this morning and it was empty. So good job, Columbia. Good job, you for staying home. Yeah, it's uh, hopefully it's kind of <laughs> hitting home now that like three hundred and twenty-five thousand people have died from the coronavirus. Uh, that maybe this thing is serious. Um, but uh, yeah, the this Christmas is going to be a little different for us. Normally we have everybody over on Christmas Eve. We cook a big meal. Uh, my parents are coming over just to look at the tree. Um, we're not feeding them. <laughs> Might have a drink, but everything's going to be like distance. Uh, I'm not going to even see my, my brother and my nephews. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's fun. Merry Christmas. Um, but, but hey, but hey, Mizzou... They gave a present to to everyone, <laughs> and you know, maybe it wasn't quite what you thought you wanted, <laughs> but then you opened it at the end and you were happy. 
let's let's really punish that that metaphor right there. <laughs> let's do a real bad job with it. Yeah, it was a uh, it was as much of a stinker of a basketball game as you could uh, as you could have hoped for uh, until like the last I think three minutes and forty four seconds is about the amount of time it took for Missouri to go from eight down uh, to one point up. Um, so let's 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 talk about this a little bit. We did I did the study hall on it. Uh, you did the lineups breakdown. Um, we know as much as we probably need to know about uh, Bradley and, and sort of what they're capable of. I mean, Bradley, we knew this could kind of have the potential to be ugly because of the way Bradley kind of prefers to play. They're a very big uh, athletic team. Um, they defend well. Uh, they actually have like the number one defense for two-point field goal percentage in the country right now. Um, so it's not a surprise that uh, it was like a close game. I think I it, it was surprising that Missouri struggled to make shots as much as they did. And I mean, it probably didn't help that they could get nothing going from the outside uh, aside from a, a couple strokes of luck from, from Xavier Pinson. Uh, but it was a fight, and uh, and credit to Mizzou, they they found a way to win at the end. But man, that was uh, if if the the phrase uh, "skin of your teeth" is uh, adequate anywhere, it's adequate here. Yeah, I think it, it's a lot like the Liberty game. You, you kind of came in and knew what the opponent was going to do. You knew kind of how they were going to approach this, and it was just how quickly could you find a way to sort of troubleshoot it. Um, and it, it took 37 minutes to do it, but they figured it out. Um, and I think the one thing that sort of stood out to me about the game is there, there are two things, and I'll start with the good one. Mentally, this group is just in a far more resilient place than the past couple of, of years. Um, and I think that's what happens anytime you get older. I think you, you know, and you develop a sense of chemistry with guys, you understand who you are, you've been in these sorts of situations, you can draw on what you've done poorly in the past, and not that you're like thinking about it in the moment, but you just have a, you know, a nice sort of, you have some scar tissue there that reminds you of what's happened in the past, and I think you understand when you've learned from it, and I think down the stretch, they they did a good job, keep, you know, plugging away. You know, they kept trying different stuff in the second half offensively, and then they finally just decided we're just going to try and get to the rim and all get out and make the officials have to decide to make a call or not. And and it worked. I mean, I think, you know, Mark was, was better down the stretch at, you know, trying to play off the bounce. You know, I, there were some people who said, you know, why wasn't Mark, you know, maybe, why was he seeming hesitant at times to shoot when he was open and putting the ball in the deck more? It's like, well, if he's not knocking down jumpers and that's what you're being given, go to the rim, you know, go even if you're not going to complete the play, at least you're going to force the official to put you on the line and you can convert there. Um, they finally started getting some post-ups to Tillman um, and getting him some opportunities to go to work. And that was big. Um, the last play of the game, obviously, was a play they had struggled to make all night, which was either hitting a guy in the short corner or hitting a roll man. And they, they pulled it off at the right time, late, but they got it done. But I think the biggest thing was that there was just a resilience there and... They also got stops at the other end. You know, I think people were focusing on the offense, but in the second half, for a long stretch, they were allowing 50 plus percent shooting and 1.1 points per possession. It, it doesn't matter what you're doing offensively if you're not getting stops. And I think that was the other issue for them was 
they, Bradley started to figure out some things that they could do in pick and rolls and in ball screens, and they had their guy knock down some jumpers, and you know, it was a two prong thing they had to do. They had to they had to get stops, and they had to find unlock something offensively, and it didn't matter if you did one without the other. Um, and you're not going to get style points for it, but they figured it out in time. Yeah, I think there's kind of a couple ways that you can look at the game, and I, I tried to kind of outline a, a little this a little bit in study halls, saying that, I mean, for anyone who might be kind of critical of, of the roster and, and sort of like the kind of team that uh, Iconzo has built, I mean, like, this is all the things that you were going to be critical about. I mean, it's a team that kind of lacks shooters it's a team that uh does struggle to score points um they've made a lot of changes uh late last season and uh and so far in this season as far as getting at transition more uh getting into that early clock offense faster uh doing what they can to um to mitigate what is very clearly a problem and 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 I don't think, like, I do think it's important to kind of keep context on it as far as, like, yes, Missouri is not a good shooting basketball team. They also had, like, a historically bad shooting night. Um, and that's not going to happen, like, every game. Now, is it possible they go, like, 3 for 18 from three-point range uh, again this year? Yeah, it's, it's very likely that's going to happen. They're also probably not going to go, I think it ended up being, like, what 16 out of 56 or 58 uh from um from field goals overall um like i don't think that's as likely to happen the rest of the season um so it is it is one of those things where you kind of have to to balance like yeah like if they have a bad shooting night it's going to be difficult for them to win now that they're getting into SEC conference play um but i think we also have to realize that like this was as bad of a shooting night as Missouri is probably capable of having. Like that was atrocious. Nothing was going right. Uh, they were struggling to make shots all around the court. Uh, and there was absolutely like, I really feel like the, the thing that, that kind of turned the game was uh, Bradley went to a zone and uh, you know, and, and, like you and I kind of discussed it privately. I I actually I liked the move. I I thought it was it was good. Like, give Missouri another thing to think about uh, on the offensive end when they've absolutely struggled. I think the the broadcasters kind of were a little critical of it, uh, saying like you have this thing that's going well, um, and it threw Missouri off for for like two or three possessions. But then, uh, they they were doing a good job of getting the ball in the middle of the court. Uh, and getting the ball to Mitchell Smith, he he I think had one kind of threw the ball to Jeremiah Tillman and kind of threw it away a little bit. Um, but uh, it was when he he had that just catch turn jump shot and and drained it, and it 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 was almost like and I don't know. There's a there was just a, a feeling that I had. It's just like all right, maybe they can actually do this and and come back like. That's the kind of shot that they needed to see go in, uh, and then I think a possession or two later, like like Pinson hits his little runner, uh, and the next thing you know, like you know they're 
they're right there within striking distance. So um, as good of a move as I think it was to go to the zone, maybe uh, Wardle stuck to it a little too long uh, and, and gave Missouri a, an easy out to kind of figure it out. Yeah. The one thing I would I keep coming back to is as we talk about the shooting issues is, you know, Conzo Martin says, you know, we've got good shooters. You know, if you, but if you look at the data for the last back to the last season through this part of this year, it's very clear they don't outside of Mark Smith. Like if you so I think and I, that's not a criticism. It's just and I get that Zoe's not going to get up on a podium or sit on a Zoom post game and say we shoot like crap. <laughs> Right, like, like, like he's not going to Ka- do that. John Calipari says reasons. the same thing. Like, oh man, in practice we scorched the nets. It's like uh, I'm skeptical of that. <laughs> but but when you look at Mizzou's like jump shooting percentage, like Missouri the last two years has shot around thirty percent on unguarded jumpers. The national average is thirty seven and a half. Missouri's field goal percentage on open three pointers, you know going back to the 16th game of last year has been in near constant decline. It, they, they, outside of Mark Smith, they do not knock down open jumpers very well. They reoriented the offense as we've talked about in previous pods. And as I wrote about in the preseason, the idea of going to the pick and roll based offense and getting corner threes was not, we want to hunt that shot. We want to create that shot specifically, but if, if we're going to create kickouts, let's create kickouts to the, most advantageous spot on the floor for shooters because our guys aren't good. Like if we're going to create threes, let's take them from the most optimal spot on the floor. Um, that has not necessarily borne itself out. Kobe Brown is still struggling to shoot. Um, Xavier Pinson is two of 10 on open threes this year. Drew Smith is a little better, but he's only attempted five of them. Um, Mitchell Smith is not any better. Um, so the question is, at some point, it's not the shots you're creating. It's the guy shooting them. Um, and so I say that to make this point here. Missouri's not going to become, I, I think, a top-end shooting team. What they need to find is another floor spacer or find a guy who can get to 35%. They don't need to be a team full of snipers. They just need one other guy on the floor who can do that for them. Because you have to sit Mark Smith. Because right now, the way they're rotating guys in, it, it's hard when you take Mark Smith off the floor. The offense just grinds. Um, they played a lot of possessions with Javon Pickett, Mitchell Smith, and Parker Brown. And that, and when you have Drew Bugs on the floor at the point, that is just, it doesn't matter if Pinson's out there. That is an offense where you can see defenses just basically go into what's bordering on zone and man. They just pack line the hell out of them and just say, shoot. And so Missouri's key is, can they find one other semi-functional shooter to put on the floor so they can at least rest Mark and they can at least, you know, maintain some semblance of flow for the offense? Because you can really tell when the starters or when three of the starters are out and when the reserves are in. It just bogs heavily. They've worked around it by getting into secondary breaks, but as we've seen with, with Bradley, um, teams will bail out a little bit on the defensive glass and or bail out a little bit on the offensive glass. Bradley was better about going to the glass, actually. But teams have bailed out, gotten in transition, set up, made it hard for Missouri to hunt those early clock possessions. And then they did what Bradley did, which is they just go under screens, they sit back and drop coverage, and they basically say, 
we we can put three guys between you and the rim. Go finish. Now Missouri's run at the foul count, and that's what saved them against Bradley. Is they started to get the foul count. And so when I talk about Missouri's unlocked some things, when they're assertive and they play off the bounce a little bit and then put the onus on the officials, they can get to the line as a way to offset that three-point shooting. But that's going to get harder as the year goes on. And so I think you take stock in the fact that they unlocked a way to win. But we've seen in the past couple of games that if the shooting doesn't come around or they don't get one other guy, teams have figured out the scout on this group. And I think that's that's the one thing going into SEC play that's going to be interesting to watch is how this group tries to figure out what it's going to do. Because the personnel is what it is at this point, and, we, and, te- and SEC teams know it, we know it. They've just got to, they need to get a little bit better performance from one other guy or two other guys on the roster to at least keep the balance where it is to where they can keep making the pick and roll based system work for them. Or else it's going to be back to where they were a year ago where it's, it's just a slog. Yeah. So I think one of the things that is also kind of important, and I think Dane Bradshaw kind of pointed this out uh, during the broadcast the other night is even even if you do have the right scout, you still have to have the personnel to execute it. And it's sort of like it, it's kind of like going back to what we were talking about with Missouri's offensive struggles last year. The problem wasn't the offense; they ran good offense. The problem was it was generating shots for guys who weren't making them. Um, and I do think that there is, uh, you know, there there is a a, a bit of a. Uh, uh, an opening for Missouri in, in conference play in that not everybody has the personnel to uh, to play like they did against uh, or, or to play like to play like Bradley defensively to play like Liberty defensively. Um, that's not how Arkansas is wired. That's not how LSU is wired. That's not how uh, like South Carolina is wired. Uh, Tennessee. Uh, certainly capable. They don't really play at a super high pace. Uh, Mississippi State, uh, I still think that's a game that Missouri should be able to win. I just don't think Mississippi State has the the personnel uh, offensively to really do much uh, outside of one guy. Um, Auburn doesn't want to play that way. You know, Kentucky doesn't want to play that way. Alabama doesn't. Um, so you know, when you when you kind of look at it from that, like these are very concerning issues and uh and if missouri doesn't doesn't find somebody who can knock down just be a threat to knock down shots uh with some level of consistency outside of mark smith um then yeah it, like it, it is it is going to be more of a slog i still think this is a, a like this is a team that can win maybe 11 or 12 games in conference play but uh like how are you winning those games? And and if you're if you're slogging to a two point win against Mississippi State, if you're you know beating LSU by a, a point, yeah, I mean those are those are wins, and and I mean wins are always going to be better, uh, but it's certainly going to be a lot harder than if you like even if if Xavier Pinson is is able to find a way to shoot thirty two percent instead of twenty eight percent. Kobe Brown, if he can, you know, get to 30% instead of, you know, 22%. Um, you know, I think, like, Mitchell Smith is a guy who, 
you know, kind of teases you with his ability to, to occasionally make threes and look good shooting the ball uh, is just two of nine this year for 22%. Um, you know, and, and Javon Pickett, you know, bless him, he's he's certainly not looking to shoot as much this year, uh, but he's one for eight on the year, and it's just like... So, I yeah, I mean, can Drew Smith get to 35%? He's at 33. Uh, I think... You know, you, you certainly hope that Mark Smith is a little bit more consistent. He has fewer nights like he did um, against Bradley. But there is sort of like this feeling that if they could just kind of get a little bit more consistent shooting the ball and and not even like scorching the nets, just be a little bit better instead of like having a 25% shooting team, you have a 28% shooting team. I just think that that's going to help them uh, – help them in those games that are within a possession or two and turn them into more easy wins. Yeah. Cause I think what we're having again is I've, I've seen people and fans at least have asked me like what, what's happening with this offense. Those not running really complex offense. Well, no, he stripped the offense back to make it really simple. Like you can watch. And if you watch closely enough, you can figure out what Missouri's three or four base sets are like, it's like the actions and the options off of, them are can be diverse but like it's not hard to sit and watch two or three missouri games and like sit there with a pen and paper and diagram their five most used sets it's not a scouting issue it's not a it's not like a you know are they being all that complex or are they being you know nuanced with it it's the reason why i like the offense was is it stripped it back you know it made the decisions easy but the question is how are they executing it like you and i have talked about or at least i had I've talked about, like, if you watched the first half the other night, you know, Xavier Pinson's reads out of pick and rolls were, were not very good in terms of when he was deciding to drop the ball, where he was deciding to put, when he wanted to pass, or reading some of the coverages. Like, that's not a scheme issue. That's that's a guy who's got to make decision issues. Um, if you create a good kick-out opportunity to a shooter like Mark, it, it's got to be a knockdown opportunity. He's got to hit that shot. Like, there's a certain point at which, like being creative with scheme as you mentioned doesn't overcome the inherent personnel you have like you can scheme your way to get shots but your guys have to make them or they have to make the right read or the decision or convert like missouri got to the rim plenty of times they just didn't convert they shot like 40 percent at the rim like if you get there you got to finish plays and i think like that's one of the things that that they've done well this year like that's been the improvement in the offenses they were converting around the rim and then against bradley like they weren't and some of it is size i mean bradley had uh size along the front line that i think um you know that matches up well like with some sec teams so i mean it is going to be uh like i i think what they've done so far, excluding the Bradley game, is is they've been able to attack the rim and convert. What they didn't do against Bradley is is convert. Now the question becomes, was that a product of a bad night? Was it a product of, you know, <coughs> uh, Bradley? Was it a product of um, a layoff? Or... Yeah, the layoff. The, the you know, there's a, a lot of different things that we aren't going to know, and we probably won't know. Uh, unless we see it as like a trend two, three games into the SEC season. Yeah. And and this is where I, I, I've sort of looked at it is, and I look at the numbers more than anyone else. The only thing I think you can definitively say, and I said it a couple minutes ago, was 
it's not a great shooting basketball team. It's just not. And I don't think it's a slight or rude or crass to say this, this team just doesn't have very good shooters on it. And now maybe they'll absolutely go bonkers down the, final, the SEC portion of the schedule. But There's going to be like one like, game this year where they probably go like like 10 of 17 from three-point range or something. Well, this is what's happened. Like in Conzo's first year, they shot 41% on open threes. In year two of Martin, they shot 37%. Last year it was 31. This year it's 30. Like, if you're if the working theory of the case is that your guys improve as they get older, that's not applying here. And the only consistent shooter on that group for open threes has been Mark. So what it tells me is, like, what you're seeing in practice might be accurate, but in games when the lights come on, when we get the data that gets analyzed, this team's carryover to games then is not very good. And there's only so much you can do there. I mean, Conzo can't come out and take shots for them can't do it and what you see is and we've seen this against liberty and bradley is it's very clear at halftime it's he sees they're not knocking down jumpers so let's get off the bounce and let's go to the rim and that's when the foul count and the free throw rate gets up and that's when you start to see them rally a bit they're able to get some possession some you know tempo going in spurts and that's worked for them but i i think the only definitive thing we can say is this team does not shoot the ball well if they have a good night, we shouldn't ask whether they're turning the corner at this point. We should just treat it as, okay, that was a good shooting night. <laughs> yeah. How many good shoot? And the question, and, I, and I'm not saying that, you know, to try and be provocative or anything, but the question for them is, how many good shooting nights are they going to have in the SEC, and can they get enough of them to to help them along? Yeah. That's about all we can say coming out of the Bradley game. Outside of the rim finishing. Like you said, if, if they're getting into SEC play and you start to see the, the two-point shooting take a hit and the conversion rate around the rim drop, then I think we can attribute that to the to more to the early season schedule than, than to personnel. But at this point, the only definitive thing I think we can say is they just don't shoot the ball very well. So as they turn to SEC play, um, big test up front, uh, Tennessee. Um, for anyone who has been paying attention to college basketball this year, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have been a little bit. Uh, Tennessee is currently a top 10 team in, in Ken Pomeroy. Uh, they, their preseason is all over the place. <laughs> uh, so they started the season on pause. And opened up with a, uh, a a tough matchup at home against Colorado. Colorado is a top 30 level Ken Palm team. They're uh, they're going to be a, a solid team in the the Pac-12 this year. Uh Cincinnati, they followed up with Cincinnati's not very good. Uh, and then they played Appalachian State, Tennessee Tech, St. Joseph's, uh, which is their their toughest matchup. St. Joe's 166 in Ken Palm. Um Basically, slightly better than Oral Roberts, uh, and then USC Upstate. So, so Tennessee really hasn't been challenged since their opening game. Um, but this is a team that everybody liked coming into the season. Um, there's a lot to like. They returned a bunch of dudes. Uh, John Fulkerson was awesome down the stretch of the the year last year. Um, they. You know, 
brought in Santiago, uh, Santiago Vescovi, uh, who provided some stability at the point guard spot after Lamonte Turner uh, decided to to call it a year with a shoulder injury. Um, and then, of, of course, like Eve Pons. Um, Eve Pons is just a, a terrific athlete, phenomenal defender. A little bit of a uh, a liability on offense, um, but a guy that's so athletic, he kind of makes up for it here and there. Um, and then they they brought in like a really really well regarded recruiting class. Two guys, Kia Johnson, who is uh, a lot of people think is going to be a lottery pick. Um, Jaden Springer uh, is another five star freshman, uh, kind of a combo forward. Another guy who's sort of floated as a potential lottery pick. Uh, and oh yeah, like Josiah Jordan James, uh, former five-star player who had an up-and-down year last year, uh, but now he's back for year two. So this is, I mean, this is a roster with depth, with talent. Um, Vic, uh, son of a uh, a true son, Victor Bailey, um, has been able to help them a little bit with one of their uh, their issues, which was outside shooting. Um, He's become kind of a reliable shooter, but this is a this is a really good Tennessee team. Um, it, it's going to be a, a a tough matchup. It, it's fortunate for Missouri they get them at home to start the season, uh, but I think I think like this will tell you a lot um, about where the SEC schedule is going to uh, go for the Tigers if they're able to play with beat um this tennessee squad because uh this is a a team that has got great length they defend well um their their issues they still have uh even though i mentioned viscovi brought them some, some stability at point guard he's not the uh the best ball handler he's prone to turnovers uh they're still kind of breaking in the freshmen um so I mean, they're not like a flawless team. You're you're not going up against, you know, the uh, seventy-two Dolphins or anything like that. Like you know, they're they're a team that's still figuring some things out. But um, they're certainly, I think, at this point, it's pretty clear that the best team in the SEC, uh, the most likely team to finish atop the standings. Uh, so getting one up on them to start the season would be kind of huge. They're. Vescovi starts for them, but uh, they've kind of, over the course of the game, they, they will run Springer at the point. And he's, you know, Rick Barnes's offense doesn't need necessarily a real creative force at the point guard position. You know, he runs a modified version of Flex and some other stuff, but he, that doesn't require him to have a truly elite point guard. So he can start Vescovi, but then he can move towards Springer. Bailey's a knockdown shooter who they needed last year. They didn't. They could have used Bailey a year ago to keep the spacing right. Josiah Jordan James has had a really, really good start, um, and I think he's a good case example for like sometimes five stars need a year, um, but he's been really, really good. Grades out well defensively, shooting near forty-four percent from three, um, just having a really nice year for them. Eve Pons, um, not shooting the ball well. He's kind of regressed as a shooter a little bit, but that's not why. You, have Pons on the floor. You have him there as a switch defender, a body guy, and he gets on the glass. Uh, Fulkerson's been really good so far for them down low, um, converting at a really converting around 52% from two. But bigger deal is he's 
drawing fouls and he's hitting free throws, um, rim protecting, rebounding. Um, EJ Anasicki's in the rotation for them in the front court. Really good grad transfer, really physical guy. Brawny, who can give some minutes to Pons or can play at the five for them. Um, uh, like we said in the preseason pod when we had Blake on, just they managed to keep the DNA of Barnes's first couple teams, which was filled with three-star guys who were grinders and who developed themselves into an elite team. That attitude is still there, and there are still guys like Fulkerson and Pons on the roster who can still, and even a guy like Olivier Nakuma who can keep that around. But then they just upgraded the talent level. They're long, they're athletic, um, they're physical around the rim and in the front court, which I think that that's going to be the biggest sort of you know, flashpoint in this game is I think Tennessee is going to be better at the four spot than Missouri. Um, I think Fulkerson's a good rim protector who can have some, who's, who's covered a little bit. You know, he's not the most athletic guy, but having, you know, guys like Nakuma or Pons in front of him who can switch is really helpful. They can get into passing lanes. They can cause problems. Um, just going to be a tough team defensively for Missouri to figure out. And, we talked about the rim finishing issues for Missouri. Um, this is a group right now that's um, seventh in the country in block percentage. They rim protect really well. They're uh, 15th nationally in offensive rebound percentage defense. So Missouri in games has been able to either get on the glass or get to the rim and draw fouls. Tennessee doesn't foul. They don't give up rebounds, and they block shots. So setting aside the shooting issues here, which we know Missouri's going to likely struggle with, how are they going to manufacture offense if they get into the paint? That 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 to me is the, the biggest question in this opener for them. Um, if Tennessee's doing a good job defensively, this thing's going to be a slog. Um, Tennessee's going to want to grind the pace down. I think Missouri has shown it's willing. It'll try and run opportunistically, but there's just part of me that thinks this is going to, it's going to be imperative for Missouri to try and eke out as many secondary breaks as it can and try and control tempo for enough of the game to, to give itself a shot. I think it's going to be really tough for them to score down in the paint. Um, so they're going to have to find ways to manufacture easy buckets or easy points. That's, that's, that's the rub in this one. Yeah, this is, uh, this is interesting to me because I, I do kind of think that one, I think, like, I think Tennessee, Tennessee benefits from a couple things. One, teams that have continuity have benefited early. That's Missouri, right? Tennessee also has that. Uh, but the difference between Missouri and Tennessee is Tennessee has also imported some truly elite talent. Um, I know, like, there's a lot of people, uh, and I've kind of seen, like, national previews and kind of stuff like that that really talk up a lot of the guys that were coming back for Tennessee. Look, I, you know, I think Fulkerson's a really good player. Um, but I mean, I, I just don't think he should be the best player on that team. Uh, and if he's the best player on that team, yeah, like I, I think, you know, if, if, if Fulkerson is the, is the best player on the team, then I don't, that, that tells me that, that like, that James or Keon Johnson or Springer uh, didn't emerge like we thought that they should, uh, didn't become kind of like the lottery pick. And, 
and it's kind of the same thing with with Eve Pons. Like if if Pons is on the floor taking shots, like that's a problem. Like Pons has never been a scorer. Vescovi uh, is a good shooter, but as a ball handler, he is he's a he's a bit careless. Um, so the balance of continuity plus an influx of of uh, a good level of talent. Uh, and I was kind of, and I think we've kind of seen it so far, was was sort of anticipating that you would see Josiah Jordan-James uh, take take that step up. Um, and I think, like, that's probably the difference between uh, Missouri and Tennessee right now is, is Tennessee has, you know, three guys who are probably going to play in the NBA. Um including one guy that already this year is looking like um, looking looking and playing like a pro prospect. I expect as the season wears on, you'll see more of Springer and, and Johnson. I think both those guys have flashed at times, but you know Barnes has done a good job of just sort of bringing them on slowly and not not you know throwing the expectations of the team in the season onto their shoulders. Uh, but James is absolutely a guy that you can do that with at this point. Um, and so I think if you're looking at the difference between those two rosters, like I still think Missouri is, uh, with their continuity and the way that they play and, and the confidence that they have, they're a team that, that should be able to finish in the top four in the league, um, which is much more than I thought we were going to see coming into the season. Um, wouldn't you agree with that? I would. And uh, to your point about continuity, I think that continuity shows up on the defensive end of the floor. I, I think that's where you see guys like Fulkerson and Pons and some of their veterans sort of assert themselves is in their defensive identity. Offensively though, you can definitely tell they've upgraded. And like I said, James has taken a step forward. And I think when I mentioned Bailey earlier, I think Bailey's been integral because he sort of has given cover. He's produced enough to let John, to let Barnes bring Johnson and Springer along at a reasonable enough pace and when one of those guys emerges, you could probably slide Bailey to more of a reserve role and still be okay. Like, I think what they've gotten right so far is John is Bailey's shooting well enough and the freshmen are flashing enough that it, Pons' regression gets covered up. Fulkerson is a guy who's developed and turned himself into a really good post player, but he doesn't have to be the focal point for them offensively. But defensively, when they go to that end of the floor... Their vets know what they want to do. They buy in. They have an attitude. They have a philosophy. And they execute it. Um, and I think that that's what is going to be interesting in this game is you have two teams that I think are tough-minded defensively um, that want to that can sit down. They don't mind doing it. They want to guard. They want to make you grind out long possessions. Um, but as you said, Tennessee, if like Missouri does a – I think Missouri does a great job. We've talked about it before in their scouting reports. They know what they want to do. They know where they, what spots they want to give you on the floor to score from. But Tennessee's got three dudes who can still go get a bucket. And I think that's that's really the, the difference between these two teams. We talk about Missouri having to really find hacks or find ways to pick the lock or find workarounds. Tennessee says, I'm going to give the ball. that I can give it to Josiah Jordan-James and he can go. I can give it to Keon Johnson, and he can go. I can give it to Jaden Springer, and he can go. And I think that there's that kind of level of sort of relief on the Tennessee end that, okay, if Missouri scouts us well, we've still got three dudes. And that that's that's something Missouri doesn't have right now. But I, 
I think this is a test more for if Missouri wins it. I don't know if it's necessarily planning a flag so much as it is, okay, if they get into a race for a top four spot, and we're talking tiebreakers between having fourth and fifth, having a win over Tennessee in your back pocket is going to be really, really handy for them. Um, I think the bigger game early on is the trip to Arkansas. To me, that's that's a tough road trip, but Bud Walton won't have people in it. Um, Arkansas is a team that has looked okay um, at times, but at other stretches they've looked like a team that's clearly trying to figure out how they fit together. They also have um, not a team that scheduled. Uh, we have no clue how tough they are because the schedule's been so off. And yeah, they were trying to get a game against Tulsa, but COVID knocked that out. So we have no clue like what they're going to look like against a top end power five team. Um, but that's a game where if you're going to ask for two more comparable teams, it's probably like at least in terms of where we think they're going to be in the standings. That road trip to Fayetteville is pretty big to me. Um, if if you lose to Tennessee and it's a tough loss, yeah, missed opportunity. But I think if you can go into Fayetteville and get a win, and then you go to Mississippi State, which I think we talked you mentioned earlier, has really only one offensive threat. If you can go two and one and look good against Tennessee, I still think you've achieved a lot of the objectives for early in the non-conference play. I think the problem is if Tennessee blows your doors off and then you go to Arkansas and it and things get sideways, then I think you start to maybe wonder if the bolts are rattling a little bit. But um, Tennessee is going to be an opportunity for them to obviously get a game that we that you wouldn't expect them to get, but it also can help them down the stretch if they're in a tight race for for a for a double buy in the SEC tournament or a top four finish. Well we've talked about like that that three to four game stretch to open SEC play kind of since the beginning of the schedule. Um and I, I do think that what you're what you're looking for in the first three is to go two and one. Um or what you're 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 hoping for is to go two and one. Uh if you go two and one uh, wins against whoever, losses against whoever. Like even a a road game at Mississippi State. If you lose that, but you beat Tennessee and Arkansas, like I think people are still feeling okay. Hey, you had a bad game. Um, yeah. I mean, Mississippi State is. Uh, they're not very good. <laughs> like that. Just they're frankly they are going to be probably one of the three or four worst teams in the league, but they're certainly better than I thought they'd be. Um, you know, they, they struggled to score the ball against Clemson. They did lose to Liberty, um, went to overtime against Dayton. Uh, and I mean, all, all of their wins are, I mean, everybody's boat racing Mississippi Valley state. (laughs) Uh, but I mean, they, they, when I've watched them, I thought they looked better than I thought they would. Um, yeah, they, they have not been a, they have not been a car wreck. Um, but and it's kind of like, like team that you have, and I were discussing with, uh, with, the, and this is not a slew pod, but you and I were kind of discussing with slew about, you know, like the expectation of them, you know, being able to go and beat Minnesota on the road, like, shouldn't really exist. Like Minnesota's a top fifty uh, team, and like that's not an unrealistic loss if anything like minnesota probably should have expected to win that game against a, a top 30 yeah. level slew team 
Um, Missouri is 40th in Kempom right now. Mississippi State is 80th. That's a one-possession game on the road. So yep. I think what you do is you hope for 2-1. and one, You uh, you absolutely have to do at least 1-2. and two. Uh, You cannot go 0-3. Um, I think that I th- I think that they will at least get to one and two. I think that I yeah. uh, based upon what I've seen this year, I think they can they will probably get like I'm like sixty five percent sure they'll be two and one. The bigger deal to me is what comes after those first three games. You get LSU at home, you get Vandy at home, you go to A and M, and you get South Carolina at home. To me, that that's. That though that's wedged between the trip to Mississippi State and a return trip to Knoxville. If you go two and one, and then you get three home games, and LSU has some talent back, and L- but LSU still doesn't play defense. Um, they still struggle with perimeter defense. Missouri has shown in the past they can take advantage of how LSU wants to defend. Um, so if you can go two and one, get LSU at home, get and then get. Two out of Vandy, A and M, and South Carolina, and basically sit at five and two in the first seven games. You are in tall cotton. That I think that's four and three is fine. Um, you're not hurting there. You put that with your non-conference performance. You're still feeling good about where you are. Um, but if you're five and two, and if one of those wins is over Tennessee, then I think you, you've you can start to look down the back half of this of the stretch, the final. 10 or 12 games and think okay now we're playing we are in a position to start playing for seeding position not just in the SEC tournament but in the NCAA tournament uh, so the first two games here the first three games we're going to focus on them a lot because I just think you want to get out of the blocks quickly but those four games that sort of come that next four game block to me is where if you started two and one you can really begin to assert yourself in the race and given the non-conference you had you can really start to think about decent position, you know, playing for the stakes of decent positioning in March down the stretch. So that's sort of how I break up the first kind of like four game chunks of the SEC slate. And if they, if they win their first three games, like that definitely also leaves uh, a lot of room for them to, um, to work with the rest of the way. Like, yeah. Like that's the. I feel like that's kind of the thing with Missouri. Like you know, the last few years they've gotten off to such bad starts in SEC play that it just like it's even though like last year they finished you know pretty strong. They finished seven and eleven. Um, that opening stretch where it was just like, um, I think at one point they were like, what one and five. At one point they were one and five. Yeah, and it's just like. And then, that that's just it's a little it's a lot to overcome. So, if if you could start out three and zero, or you definitely want to get the two and one, uh, I think what you're you're doing is you're setting yourself up to kind of be in command and be in that uh, you know six and one, six and two kind of area, which allows you some some bumps uh, along the road. So if you let you drop a road game, you know at Mississippi State, or, or sorry, at, at drop a road game at Mississippi, um, or you know lose to Texas A and M, something something like that, where it it maybe doesn't look great 
uh, on an individual level, but you took care of business early, then I think that can really help. And that's what I think we're kind of hoping for this Missouri team, um, you know, because they're in the position of, of sort of where a lot of teams haven't been, of having that continuity, having the ability to um, to, to be together and, and, and win some games. So... Yeah, if you go three and if you go three and one out of Tennessee, Arkansas, Mississippi State, and LSU, at that point you're going to have more quad one wins than you did last year, and you still have you know 14, 15 games left on the schedule. That point, you don't want to tank the rest of the way, and you don't want to you know completely let the foot off the gas. But I just think this team and the program in the last two years has been in a position where it's it plays well enough and it shows enough fortitude, but it, it's just chasing the game a bit, the bigger game overall of they're always two to three wins behind where they need to be. Um, and I think that, and I'll circle back to Bradley briefly. Like, I think people were like looking at this game and sort of talking about it. And like, of course they are in a number 14 ranking and lose. Um, I don't think Missouri's the 14th best team in the country. I don't think you know, Jeff Goodman has them 11th right now. I don't think they're the I don't think they're the twentieth best team in the country. I think, and I and I had, I said this about SLU. I think on a good day, Missouri and SLU are borderline top twenty-five teams. Um, I think at the end of the day, if they have good years, they are going to be six or seven seeds in the NCAA tournament. Um, what Bradley was about was about holding serve, um, and not that taking a loss to a Missouri Valley favorite would have been bad, but it's just something you don't need. Like, I think that coming out of this that game, it was Missouri's season was not torpedoed if they lost that game. If they had, I would not have been like, oh, God, of course they get a 14 ranking and they handle it poorly and fall out. I think at some point Missouri's going to slide down in the rankings a bit and they may fall out. I think the bigger deal for beating Bradley was less about maintaining a ranking, less about perception than it was the end of the day, the job for this team is to get to an NCAA tournament. That's what this program needs. It needs to be playing substantial basketball in March. It could be as a six seed. It could be as a 10 seed. The goal is to get a bid. That's what they need because next year is likely a reset, barring something happening in spring or guys coming back who we don't expect to. But I think everyone sort of looks at the game, and we do it too. We fall into it where we kind of, get locked into that one data point, but Missouri, what it did against Bradley was it just didn't burn any insurance or capital that it didn't need to. Now it gets to go in and it gets to, in the first five to seven games of the SEC stretch, really kind of put a little bit more turns on the bolt in terms of where they are as having a good NCAA tournament resume. The individual results matter, but I, I think when you look at the aggregate picture here, what beating Bradley did was it kept them on track. It, you know They're going to hit some bumps. They're probably going to fall out of the top 25 at some point. Irrelevant. Can they, can they continue making safe progress towards a bid in March? That, that's... That's where I come down. If they stay ranked, all the better. If they become a top 20 team in Kim Palm, great. 
mission critical here is to get an NCAA tournament bid. And that's what they were able to continue doing by beating Bradley. And where they are going into SEC play. So, uh, I think I agree with most of that. The As high as Missouri is ranked right now, I think it's more of a product of the way the season has started for college basketball in general and for, for Missouri, you know, expectations were a little too high for Illinois, I think. Um, I don't really think they were a top 10 team. I don't think they are a top 10 team. Uh, Oregon was a, a nice win, but also, like we've mentioned, missing uh, some kind of key components. Um, Missouri is, is better than I think we expected them to be, um, but not by a large stretch. <laughs> Uh, so I really think like it, it's the things that we've kind of talked about. This is a good basketball team. Uh, they are going to win more games than they have any of the previous few seasons here. Um, or at least from a percentage wise, <laughs> considering we may not get a whole lot of games in. Um, but I think it, it, we are excited about watching basketball for the first time in a long time this year. And a lot of that is the product of just having a team that is capable of making winning plays. You saw a team capable of making winning plays against uh, against Illinois. You saw it against Bradley. You saw it against Oregon. Um, you saw it against Liberty. And, uh, and I think that that will continue through the season. Uh, and, you know, whether it's 11 and 7 or whether they can find a way to you know win 13 games who, who knows and in, in sec play i always equate things to sec play um i think anything's possible for this team because it's such a weird year and uh and the way that they're capable of playing and the way that they're sort of matching their opponent um is important and i certainly think we're going to discover a lot about them um uh, next Wednesday. So you and I are going to record, I guess, after the uh, Tennessee game. We'll have a good idea of what's going on. Um, And then at some point, I I think we'll probably get back to our our more normal schedule of recording um, after the Saturday game, probably on on Sunday or Monday. Um, But for now, uh, it's Christmas Eve. Everybody hope this is something that you could listen to while you're wrapping presents or whatever. Um, Merry Christmas. Don't get COVID. Um, and make sure that you're subscribed. If you have nice things to say, say them on the, uh, the, the podcast feed at Apple. Leave us nice reviews. Um, all complaints, just go to an email to Mitch. Uh, and follow us on Twitter. We're occasionally uh, entertaining sometimes. Right, Matt? Yeah, we, we try to be. Any any last words before we exit? Uh, Merry Christmas, everyone! Thanks for listening. Um, thanks for reading. Thanks for following. Um, it's nice to know there are people out there that uh, care about niche Missouri basketball uh, content. But you exist, and we're glad that you choose us uh, to be the purveyor of your content. All right. Uh, thanks everyone for tuning in, and we'll be back next week with more dive cuts.